It's good to be with you in the house of the Lord uh, this day. Uh, by popular demand, the scripture readings are back in the bulletin. Okay, I mean, it's still in the pew, pew Bibles, too, if you want them in that place, too. But it is helpful having the, the reading in, in the bulletin. Uh, so I'm going to do the second reading, which is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. Hear the word of God. This is uh, Jesus speaking uh, to the twelve as they're about to be sent out on a little missionary journey. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for calling us from different places this morning and gathering us here this day. Lord, I thank you for each of the saints who... Uh, has come to this room uh, in obedience to your calling to gather as the people of God. And I pray that you would meet us here this day. We thank you for uh, the leadership of our band. We thank you for the many hands that are at work quietly behind the scenes making things happen this morning. We thank you for those who were up early to get things ready for us so that we could worship you. Lord, we pray at this time that we would... Take a pause and take a break and separate out this time from the rest of the week. Lord, we've had quite a week. But now we turn our attention to you and we turn our attention to things which are eternal. We pray that you would fill our vision, that we would be consumed by the sight of you. Lord, you have called us into worship. I pray now that we would worship you by attending to the reading and the proclamation of your word. I pray that we would hear with uh, minds that are receptive and that are attuned with spirits that are responsive and obedient with wills that are able to move in the direction that you're calling us this morning. Lord God, we pray for those who are not able to be here this day because of health concerns or because of distance. We pray that you would minister to each of those in their circumstances. We pray for those uh, in our congregation who are suffering in their bodies. We pray that you would heal them and make them strong. We pray that you would encourage their spirits as well during their time of trial. We pray for the members of their families who come around them and provide extra support during this time of need. We pray that you would encourage them as well and give them an extra measure of patience. Lord, for those who are alienated from your church, we pray that you would call them back. We pray that you would continue to call those who are lost and separated back to yourself. We pray that you would return all of the sheep to your sheepfold. 
Lord God, I pray that you would bring honor and glory to yourself in your church this day. And I pray that you would whet our appetite for eternity. I pray that we would not be too attached to this world, this world which is passing away. I pray instead that we would love the things that uh, are forever. I pray that we would be laying up treasure in heaven this day. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 10... Jesus is sending out the 12 uh, disciples. Uh, this is a kind of a, a trial run. Uh, it's the first time they've been actually sent out into the world. They're going out uh, two by two. It's a, a trial run for what's going to become uh, their life work, their, their life work after Calvary and after the resurrection. And Jesus warns them that he's sending them out as sheep among wolves. He tells them that they're going to be arrested and that they're going to be flogged. He lets them know that even their families are going to betray them, are going to turn them into government officials to be killed. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus does not sugarcoat the cost of discipleship. But the passage that we read this morning, Jesus also says, have no fear. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, are you not more valuable than many sparrows? Hyperbole is when we exaggerate to make a point. If I look in my office and say, it looks like a tornado hit this place, that's hyperbole. But when Jesus says a sparrow does not die apart from God, that God knows the number of hairs on my head and that I'm valuable to God, that is not hyperbole. Jesus is teaching a doctrine that we call providence. And he is also simultaneously teaching against a false doctrine that's called deism. Very quickly, deism says that God made the world, but that once the world is made, it runs on its own and God is not involved. The doctrine of providence teaches That God is involved in every single event in the universe, every single event in your life, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant. The doctrine of providence teaches us that God's eye is on the sparrow. Last week was my final installment in a seven sermon series on the doctrine of creation. It is no accident that the Bible begins with an account of the creation of the universe out of nothing. God spoke and it was there. Boom. And then after God made something out of nothing, He began to organize 
The chaotic mess, he began to separate this from that. He put this over here and he put that over there. And he did this by means of his word, the Logos, externalized form of the divine mind. And once he had arranged everything in the inorganic universe, all that part of the creation which is not alive, then he turned to the next big event. He created life. There is a God-sized gap between inorganic matter and living beings. Even if you accept Darwinism, every jot and tittle, you still need to account for how life got here in the first place. Darwin's theory of evolution is all about how species change over time through random mutations that are sorted out by the ruthless principle of survival of the fittest. It's a grand and an admirable theory. But it requires that you begin with something, that you begin with life, which is a really huge caveat if you're trying to explain things. Well, life got here just the same as the universe got here. God created it out of nothing. Creating life was the second act of creation. And then there was a third act. When God shaped a human body out of the dust of the earth, and then he breathed into that human body something that was not the human body, something that was both alive and like God himself, he breathed into that formed body, that not yet alive body, a rational soul. Three unique events in the history of the universe, three singularities that cannot be explained by anything that preceded them, There is no physical, causal explanation for the creation of the universe. There is no physical, causal explanation for the creation of life. There is no physical, causal explanation of the rational soul. Each of these acts are the result of divine sovereignty. This week I begin a new series of sermons on the doctrine of providence. Providence, in a sense, is creation volume two. The world that God makes has no existence independent of God. It does not exist by itself. It exists only because God holds it into existence. God makes the world, but he doesn't walk away from it. The Bible tells us that God governs the world, that nothing happens in this world apart from God, that God's ongoing support, His care, His regulation of the world, that's what we call providence. It's creation volume two. Now it is true that the word providence, like the word trinity, does not appear in the Bible. It's one of our theological words. But God's triune nature is presented many places throughout the scriptures. And though the word providence does not appear in the Bible, we see God's providence presented on almost every page of the Bible. I want to begin by reading two questions from the Heidelberg Catechism. We're going to read them again after the sermon. Because these questions offer a short and clear definition of providence. Question 27. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures 
And so governs them leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Not by chance. Everything that happens to me has been given to me by God's fatherly hand. My life is not random. What happens to me is not a matter of good luck or bad luck. All things come to me by God's fatherly hand. Well, if you can see that, if you can believe that, it will change your life. Question 28. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by providence? Answer. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love, for all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. We can be patient in adversity, Knowing that God has a plan, has seen fit to send us adversity, like this stupid COVID pandemic, like the things that are going on in your life that you did not plan for, but you've got to deal with now, in your body, at your job, in your family, in the community, all of those have been sent to us in God's providence. We can also be thankful in our prosperity and not think that we're living well just because, you know, we're good or we're smart or we're hardworking. And we can have a firm confidence. The truth is we don't know what the future holds. We've got our plans for the future. But we don't know what the future holds. So we need to know who holds the future. And in Him is our trust. And as a result, we don't need to be anxious or fearful. Patience, thankfulness, and confidence. I think those are three strong descriptors of the Christian life. When we are really trusting God, we don't need to be impatient. When we are really knowing God, we see His hand of blessing everywhere. When we are really leaning on the everlasting arms, we're confident. We are not anxious about our lives or about the future. My guess is that all of you know the word providence, but that you don't use it normally in regular life. These days it's used almost exclusively as a theological term. It wasn't always that way. All of you, however, do know the verb provide. And the word providence is just the noun form of that verb. God's providence is God's providence. We have another word in the English language that's also the noun form of provide, and that's the word provision. God's providence is God's provision. Now there are two roots in all of those words, provide, providence, and provision. There's the pro and the vide, or the vision, 
Pro means to go before. Vide or vision means to see. Provisions are the things that we gather together that we foresee that we're going to need for a journey. God's providence is what God provides to you for your journey. He, of course, knows where you're going. And so he knows what you're going to need for the trip. And because he's your father, he loves you. And he's only going to give you good things for the trip. We see this in the story of Abraham that we read from Genesis this morning. You remember, of course, that God called Abraham from the country of his fathers, from the Ur of the Chaldees. And he called him to go into a land that God would show him. Abraham has no idea where he's going. But God knows. And every step of the way, God provided what Abraham needed for the next leg of the journey. In our Christian lives, we are called to follow God, but we don't know where that's going to lead. This is one of the differences between following God and following our dreams. Think about this for just a second because it's really important. And if you are asleep, please wake up now. Sometimes people confuse their own aspirations and their dreams for God's calling. There's a difference. Let me explain it to you. If I have a dream, I have a goal in mind. If I have an aspiration, I know where I want to end up. But when God called Abraham, Abraham had no idea where he was going. When Abraham left his homeland, he didn't leave because he heard there was good pasture over in the promised land. There was nothing wrong with the place where Abraham was living. In fact, it was a richer country than the one that he was going into. Abraham does not take off on his journey because he's fulfilling a personal dream or a vision quest. Abraham takes off on his journey because he's obedient. He doesn't know where he's going. But he knows God has called him. And he trusts God will show the way and will provide along that way. People often ask me about why I went into ministry as though it were You know, a calculated decision like choosing which college to attend. I was 40 years old when God called me to leave behind what I was doing and to go to a place that I had no idea about. I was working in public relations. I had a good job with a healthy company. I had good clients around the country. The work I was doing was challenging. It was interesting. I liked the people that I worked for. I liked the industry that I was working in. I was paid well because... I was pretty good at what I did. Just before I went to seminary, I had a kind of a vision, kind of a dream, a, a personal aspiration. I wanted to start my own PR firm. I could make more money working for myself. I could specialize in the area that I was interested in. I even had a verbal agreement with one of my clients who would provide me with enough work to tide me over during the startup phase of my company. I had a personal dream of where I wanted to end up, and it was a good and an honorable vision. 
But God's calling is not the same as a personal vision. One difference is that God's calling always... Now, listen to this, particularly those of you who are new to the Presbyterian world. God's calling always will be confirmed by the body of Christ. By the church. My personal vision? Well, that's personal. I know this might sound strange, but when I first came to the session of my church that I was attending at that time and told them that I sensed being called into the ministry, which is the first of about 10,000 steps that you take on the way to becoming a Presbyterian pastor, I had no idea of what my ministry would look like one day. I didn't have a destination in mind. I had no goal. I wasn't dreaming of being a pastor. It was not my aspiration to lead a church My only desire in that moment was to follow God and to be obedient. I sensed that God was not happy with me just believing in Him. That God was calling me to follow Him. And I had no idea where that might lead. Not a clue. Which is why someone who senses a call to ministry needs the body of Christ to help them discern where God is calling them. It's not a private matter. To become a Presbyterian pastor, there are actually two processes that go on, they can go on simultaneously that you have to go through. There is the seminary, which is just a professional school for future pastors. It's like going to law school. But there's also the presbytery process. You're placed under the care of a committee. Well, you're under the care of your session first. You're under the care of a presbytery committee. They walk with you during this whole journey. It's it's a minimum of three years. They are constantly checking in with you to see how you are developing. They are watching you like a hawk to see if there's some kind of, you know, psychological or character flaw that would preclude you from ministry. Let me tell you, not everybody who wants to be a pastor should be a pastor. I learned that lesson loud and clear during nine years I worked on the Presbytery of Philadelphia's committee that oversees candidates for ordination. Lots of people enter that process for the wrong reason. And thanks be to God, the process does a pretty good job of weeding those people out along the way. During my three-year process of presbytery oversight, through a thousand and one conversations with other people, it gradually became clearer to me where specifically God was leading me. And in God's timing, as I was wrapping up seminary, I was very clear about what my calling was. I knew that I was called to be a solo pastor and not an assistant on someone else's staff. I knew that I was called to lead a cradle-to-grave church, a church with people in every stage of life. I knew that I was called to be in a church with both black people and white people. We were not that when I arrived, but there was an openness to growing in that way. I knew that I was called to be a church that ministered both to the head and to the heart. A church with a warm, authentic faith, a church not afraid to study and to think hard. And I was called to be in a church that trusted the Bible as the unshakable foundation and the revelation of God's truth. And so God led me to that church. 
And when I saw it, I recognized it. Yes, this is the place that I'm called to. Yes, these are the people I've been called to lead. Did I have that vision when I set out on that journey? Not at all. I had no idea. I just knew that God was calling me, and step by step He showed me the way, and He provided for me along that way. Let me talk about that provision for just one second. One of the things that happens when you quit your job mid-career and go off to seminary is suddenly you're poor. My wife was working, thank speed of God, but of course our household income was cut in half. And things came to a head. In our last year at seminary, the money ran out. We did not have the money for the last semester's rent. We were living in a cramped apartment in Princeton in seminary housing. And an old saint at the little church where I worked as a student intern in Philadelphia quietly wrote a check for six months of our rent, enough to bridge the gap. My going off to seminary was not a vision quest. It was not me following my dreams. It was not a very good business decision even. But it was God's plan. It was God's calling. I didn't know where it would lead, but God was faithful and He provided each step of the way. Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldees to go God knows where. And God went with him. And then, in a test of Abraham's faith, God tells Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And they get to the mountain. Isaac says to his father, Father, we have the fire. We have the wood. Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. In verse 14 we read, So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. That's God's providence, His providence. His providing us with everything that we need for the journey that He's called us on. So where is He calling you? First of all, has he called you to be a disciple of Christ? To take up your own cross? Have you responded to that call? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes two paths in life. He said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But narrow is the gate And small is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The way of the world is wide. It's a broad way. There's room for everyone. Whatever you want. Be whoever you want to be. Here's the problem with the broad way. The end of the road is death. But the narrow way... The way Jesus calls us to enter, the narrow way leads to life and to life more abundant. Have you entered that way? Are you on that path? 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Are you on the path of Jesus? Jesus invites us to take up our cross and to follow him. That's different from simply believing certain facts about Jesus. It's actually about how you live your life. It's actually about what you're doing with your time and how you're spending your money. It's about your priorities. Okay? A lot of people believe a lot of things about Jesus. There are a lot of Jesus admirers in the world, but not so many Jesus followers in the world. Are you following Jesus? Jesus invites us to take up our cross and follow him, and that requires us to turn our backs on this world and the desires and the values of this world, and it means entering into a new way of life. It's a life that's good, actually, because every step of the way is provided for. And it culminates, of course, in eternal life with Jesus. Are you on that path? The way we enter that path is through a decision. We have to decide to follow Jesus. It doesn't happen automatically. You don't get born on that path. Just because your parents are on the path doesn't mean that you are on the path. You have to make a decision to turn aside from the path that you were born on. And you have to say, okay, I'm done with that old way. I'm going to go a new way. If you're not sure where you stand with God, and if you're not sure what path you're on, I would love to meet with you. We can talk about it, look in Scripture, pray about it. I'd be happy to do that. Somebody did that for me many years ago. And for those of you who are on the path, on the way, by the way, that's what the church used to be called back in the old days. The church was called The Way. I like that name. For those of you who are on the way, I want you to be encouraged and I want you to know that God is your provider. God will provide for you everything that you need to reach the destination that he has in mind for you. You will not go without. You will not be in want. God's destination isn't always the same as our dreams or our plans, or our aspirations. Broadway and Hollywood tell us to follow your dreams. But the Bible says follow God and His Word. God's destination isn't always the same as our aspiration, but as we spend time in God's Word, as we spend time with God's people, we find that increasingly over time, our will becomes shaped according to God's will. We start loving the things that God loves. When that happens, well, we're on a roll. Keep in mind that the purpose of our prayers is not to bend God's will so that it aligns with our will. It's not, Lord, do my will. The purpose of our prayers is not to inform God of our brilliant plans and dreams. The purpose of prayer is to attune our hearts, to align our hearts with God's heart. Okay, Prayer changes us. As we pray, we begin to keep our feet in God's paths. And when that happens, God gives us the desires of our hearts. Because our heart's desires are aligned with God's desires because our plans are now aligned with God's plans, which is a really good place to be. Oh, in case you didn't know, God's plans are always the best plans. Okay, Not only for the glory of God, God will get the glory, but also for the blessing of his people. 
Let us pray. Father God, we honor you and we adore you. And we thank you uh, for taking care of Father Abraham. We thank you for calling him from a good place to a better place. We thank you for being the one who provided for him every step of the way. Lord Jesus, we thank you for revealing to us that God knows us, that he knows the hairs on our heads, that he cares about us, that he values us, and that nothing will happen in our lives apart from his plan. Lord Jesus, I pray that we might be confident in that, that that might be something that makes us patient in times of trouble, that gives us confidence in you, that you have our future in in hand. We pray that we would be your faithful people. We pray for your blessing, and we pray for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name.